Hey, everybody, this is John Christensen, and I'm here with a new episode of the Wealth Confidant podcast. I've spent the last couple of years speaking with some of today's most inspiring entrepreneurs and change makers on this podcast. All of these conversations, each with their own unique takeaways, offer insight into how people can unlock their potential to live fuller lives. My talk with today's guest, Barry Merrick, digs even further into the ways we can all maximize our gifts and achieve our greatest impact. Barry is the co-founder and CEO of Ivy, the social university, a community that unites rising leaders through a lifetime of learning, growth, and impact. After attending Harvard Business School, Barry and his co-founder were inspired to bring the benefits of leading universities to entrepreneurs, creatives, and innovative professionals all over the world. Barry's mission is to spark a new renaissance promoting human unity, progress, and fulfillment through education and community. He believes that by helping as many people as possible to unlock their potential, he can make a big impact on the world. Living fully is what we are all created for, but we often accept so much less in our lives. I believe we only have one life to live, and therefore I don't want to experience muted CD-type returns. I want to maximize the return on my life. Barry's focus really resonated with me and is powerful because I too want to bring my unique contribution to the world through inspiring and encouraging wealth creators to expand their definition of success beyond purely monetary targets and focus instead on leading meaningful and purposeful lives. To get more information about Barry's work, visit www.barrymerrick.com. You can also go to ivy.com, ivy.com, for more information about his organization. Barry and I also discuss what it means to be a global citizen, lifelong lessons he learned from his parents, advice for aspiring entrepreneurs, and how to make business a force for good. Let's dive in. Hey, Barry, it's great to have you and welcome to the Wealth Confidant podcast. So good to be here. I'm excited for this. Yeah, you and I have had a couple of reasons to talk lately and I, I've been so impressed with your organization and having a chance to meet some of your members in a couple of different cities and then the recent webcast we did, which was just a lot of fun. It was great to kind of have another chance to interact with you and maybe spend a little bit more time talking about you and your story and and how you've done what you've done with, with Ivy, this organization. But maybe we could just kick it off there. Could you just give everybody a, a quick snapshot on, on you and the organization and what you're trying to build? I just think it's really fascinating. Happy to. Thanks so much for having me on. I thoroughly enjoyed our time together when we did that chat together. And our members have been raving about you as well. So excited for this conversation. A little bit of background on me. I'm originally from Turkey. I was born in Istanbul. At age 11, my family moved over to Scotland, to Glasgow. And I moved there. I was the only foreigner in my school. I didn't speak English. It was a, a huge, huge culture shock and a massive change. And it was very difficult for the first couple of years. But that was definitely the defining moment and defining experience in my life. It really forced me to think very hard about what it means to belong, what it means to be a global citizen, no matter how different people might be, all the things that we all have in common. So. 
That was an early age inspiration for me for all the other things I've done in my life since then. So after Scotland, I lived there until college. And by the time I left, I had fully adapted. So people really could not tell that I wasn't Scottish at the time. I, I came over to the States for my undergraduate at Brown University, had an incredible time there. From there, I got a job at Morgan Stanley doing M&A in London, had an awesome experience there. Also learned a ton, lots of challenges, but lots of growing. And that was great. And I was really ready to start my own company. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. It's kind of all I knew was every dinner conversation was about business. And I always knew that I'm into a lot of different things. I have a ton of interest and entrepreneurship is a great antidote for that. It enables you to pursue any opportunity in whatever industry that you believe can meet amazing needs and you can build something and work with great people. So my way of getting on the entrepreneurial journey was to apply to business school and take those two years to really develop myself and also come up with the idea that excited me the most. And the business school experience was actually what gave me the idea for Ivy, the social university, which is the company I founded six years ago together with a business school classmate, Philip Treble. The concept itself was massively inspired by the business school experience. So the idea has always been the fact that, you know, in an American collegiate environment, there's often such a strong sense of community where everyone you meet might become a lifelong friend. They become great thought partners. They're people you'll learn from, you'll do business with, and you're constantly either socializing and doing really fun things, or you're in class and learning. And you're constantly thinking about your career and next steps. And it's this incredible environment of melting pot where all these things are happening. And the idea we had was, you know, why should that end when you graduate, when you're 21, or if it's grad school, when you're 25 or even 30, you're too young for education to be over. You're too young for community to be over. And my big belief is that actually, if you want to unlock your potential, education and community, other people like connections are the most effective by far ways of doing that. So my thought was, okay, why don't we create a lifelong and global version of what I got to experience at Harvard Business School uh, by really turning every single city into a campus, by bringing together impact-oriented, driven individuals who are intellectually curious and bringing them together through experiences that are focused on learning, that are focused on arts and culture, that are focused on impact. And through that call to action, create a community that's much more lifelong. So that was the genesis of the idea. Started six years ago here in New York. Since then, we've expanded to seven cities across the U.S., including D.C., Boston, L.A., San Francisco, Chicago, and Miami. And we're getting ready to launch in London shortly. And from there, we want to be in 50 cities around the world. So we have more than 20,000 members. That's the journey so far. Unbelievable. I love that idea of unlocking potential. I just think that's a fascinating concept. Where did that come from? I understand the social connection. Let's see if we can keep that social community like we had in, in undergrad or in some of your MBA courses and all that. When you're at Harvard and Brown, that's, that's an interesting concept. Where did the unlocking the potential piece come from? It's a great question. I believe it's a combination of different things. First of all, my parents had me when they were quite young. So my mom was 21, my dad was 23, 24, something like that. And we got along really well. And I was the firstborn. They didn't really put any rules on me, actually. I was kind of mischievous, but responsible as a person. And they didn't really 
ask me to do anything, force me in any direction. But my dad definitely did ask, what do you want to do with your life? Who do you want to become? What's the impact you want to have? So that was a strong call to action. It wasn't specific about you should do this or that, but just that you should do something. How old were you when he asked you that question? I was young, seven, eight. And at that age, you have no idea. But, but what I did know, even at that age, is like I wanted to do something big. Like I wanted my life to matter. I didn't want to just have a job. Like that was not something that I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that really mattered. And I think that question was a provocation into like really getting me to think. And then my dad was an entrepreneur. So he was a builder. He's a creator. My mom, she's a psychology major. She's a social worker. So she also, like from her, I learned a lot about actually having a real impact on people that's discernible and valuable. So I think the combination of my dad's like very aggressive entrepreneurship and building mode and my mom's like really caring mode, those were early influences. And then when I moved to Scotland, and I'm extremely extroverted by nature, but I had to be... I had, I had, I couldn't even speak for like the first few months I was there because I didn't speak the language. So I had to turn a bit more inward and I started reading a ton and history as a subject is my favorite thing. So, you know, in history, all you study are the big ideas and the big personalities and the things that really mattered. So that really got me thinking big about my life that I wanted to do something quite monumental. Whether or not other people knew what I did or how it ended up was secondary. I just wanted to know that. I would build something that was big. And what I got to quickly learn is that if you want to have a big impact, you want to unlock your own potential. The only way to do that is by helping other people unlock their potential because we all have 24 hours in a day. Most of us are very busy anyway, so it's hard to find extra time to do something meaningful. So it's just a question of how well you're able to unlock other people's potential and help them in turn unlock other people's potential. So that has been a bit of an obsession for me, going deeper with each person, figuring out how you can best collaborate and have a good positive impact together. So that I think has been an ongoing driver for me. And the whole journey with Ivy for me in a personal way is an incredibly meaningful and powerful, exciting journey and experiment in figuring out how do you bring people together that absolutely do not know each other in any way and help them become each other's confidants and people who support you in every phase of your life, personal and professional and family. I hope you've taken some time, and I'm sure you have, to thank your parents for that question. That is so unusual to have that kind of upbringing where you had a, what it sounds like is a fostering environment to to really think beyond, well beyond your years. I think a lot of people have had fortunate upbringings, whether it be education or, or opportunities, but to actually have parents who kind of allowed you to dream as big as you wanted to dream and, and encourage that at that kind of an age is, is pretty spectacular. Well, I will thank them again after this conversation. <laughs> That's phenomenal. So your life became this idea that I'm going to live big. I'm going to live the biggest potential I can have. And Ivy sounds like it has become the operationalizing of that effectively. But have you seen that people uh, that you meet and the people that are joining is part of it that they're not, that their potential is locked up and it's, it's not flourishing and it's, it's not fully developed. And, and that's why this is so such a beautiful mechanism. Well, so what's amazing about the journey of life in general is that 
the farther you get, the more your potential grows. So when you think of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, after food and shelter, we all need community and belonging. After that, the next level up is professional success. And then finally, at the apex, you have the self-actualization. And when I first learned about this concept back in college, I thought to myself, man, if I'm self-actualizing, I'll be so, you know, fulfilled and I'll be so set because, you know, I'll be just creating all day. And what I find actually is that the more you're self-actualizing, the more other parts of your life become harder to balance because it becomes all-consuming. You're following your passion. You're really top of your game in one thing. But unfortunately, that causes sometimes your sense of community to fade, close friendships, other relationships, and also like other personal interests take a backseat. So I would say that the people joining Ivy and generally people seeking lifelong learning and community, they're actually usually self-actualizing people. They're people who want more out of life. It's not that they don't have anything. It's quite the opposite that they have a lot going on but that's causing them to feel a bit more detached. And that certainly happened with me, even with Ivy and continues to, right? It's all consuming. And, you know, if I don't make an actual effort on it, I would, this is all I would do. And I, it's actually almost all I do, but it's really critical to cultivate relationships and so on. So the good thing about Ivy for me as a business owner and a community builder is that, you know, I go to a ton of Ivy events. I, you know, lead all these Ivy leadership circles, peer mentoring groups that enable people to really help get each other to the next level. So I'm lucky that I get it from Ivy itself. But for a lot of people, or when I used to work at Morgan Stanley, there was zero mechanisms for you to meet amazing new people and learn about new things outside of the, the focus area that you had at work. You've made the leap. You've you've gone a different direction. You've now got a business and entrepreneurial journey that is allowing you to live out what you've explained to us, which is just super exciting and inspiring. What would you say to somebody who is maybe within your membership or or is listening that that they want to take those kinds of steps? What what would you say to them? Yeah, so I would say to them, and this is partially influenced by the conversation you and I had. The whole risk-return equation in finance and economics applies in every area of life. So if you want higher returns, you have to increase your risk appetite or you know, your willingness for engaging more, a more volatile life. And I think everybody is on a spectrum between certainty and comfort and uncertainty and you know, risk. I think most of us want elements of both. I mean, nobody wants to be totally uncomfortable and nobody wants to be purely comfortable and do nothing. I mean, we all want a mix. But I do believe that for most people, there is this artificial ceiling that they feel like they have. And actually, I find it a lot more in some of my most successful or like the smartest people that I went to school with, like the people who've never actually felt like they always got the A's, they always got the job. That creates, I think, as you called it, like a cocoon of comfort because like you're just, you're comfortable, you're getting even more comfortable and yeah, you're working hard and there's like some risks, but it becomes harder and harder. So if you truly believe in something, if you have total conviction about, you know, your life's purpose or what you're supposed to build or a particular product, service, not-for-profit, government, whatever it is that you're truly convinced that that's what you're meant for, then I would say definitely at least start taking steps towards it or augment what you're currently working on to help you better prepare for when you do take the leap. 
But I would also say that it's definitely not for everyone. I mean, going and actually setting up a business, raising capital or putting your own capital, you know, risking everything, basically, there's a good chance that it might not work out. It's not for everybody. And the best advice I've heard is, you know, you should only really do it if you are passionate about the project as an end in itself and not as a means towards just making more money. That's a really bad reason to go into entrepreneurship because, you know, risk-weighted returns are probably not in your favor. But if you're passionate about the project anyway, and it's your calling, then you kind of have to do it to silence the noise in your head that's like, you know, (laughs) screaming at you to get up and do something. Yeah, so how do you define success or even a successful career versus how you might have defined it when you first started college or when you were at Morgan Stanley? How has that shifted so people can kind of have a sense of how you've evolved and, and grown as a person? Because of my interest in history, I've always kind of thought of it as ultimately global impact. And maybe when I was younger and a bit more naive, I thought like maybe that's all that mattered, right? Like doing something at the global stage. Now I see that success is, you know, cultivating something that you truly care about. And that could be your child, that could be your significant other, that could be your family, that could be a charitable organization you belong to. It could also be your business, it could be your country. But whatever that is, if you can successfully cultivate what you truly care about, that's success. The other thing is growth. I think that, you know, a business might look big or an operation might look big, but might not provide the person running it with as much growth as something maybe that looks a lot smaller and not as many flashlights going around it, but, you know, something that really gets you out of your comfort zone. So for me, as success is working on something that you're passionate about. And that doesn't just mean career, even though I guess that is what you asked me. But, you know, I have also tremendous respect for people whose number one priority in life is their family. And they're going to bring up the best damn kids in the world. You know, that's another way to have a huge impact, positive impact on the world. Whereas maybe when I was younger, I thought, no, you got to actually do something on the global stage for it to, you know, really count. So if you were to put yourself out five years from now and and say, this is what I'm hoping success looks like for my very definition of success, what, what kinds of things would be included in that? With Ivy specifically, which is kind of my life mission or a big part of my life purpose, definitely taking it from the seven cities that it's in now and having it be in every city you can name and having it be the norm for Anyone whose leadership and education oriented, whether it's Ivy or something like Ivy, for people for it to become the norm that after they're done with their formal education, people continue with lifelong learning. That's not just clicking buttons online and watching videos, but actually like with other people constantly pushing the envelope. So Ivy growing it to a global level, that's more kind of like horizontal growth, right? Like doing more of the same in more places. The other thing is like the vertical growth of Ivy. I really do believe that there's tremendous potential, especially with our leadership circles now. So that's where we put people in groups of eight to 10 to get together once a month with their you know, personal board of directors, as we call it, to really support each other in their personal, professional and family lives, going deep and really like sharing what truly matters and being there for each other. I think those kinds of things. So like vertical growth of Ivy, I think that's a big part of it. So If five years from now, Ivy has achieved like that next level of depth and it's also all around the world, that would be a definition of success in the organization that I'm building. For me personally, 
as a kind of a byproduct of that or as a part of that, definitely being a leader that is more able to balance growth and cultivation because currently I'm a very all or nothing person. So I'm either in growth mode or cultivation mode. To be a well-rounded CEO, I think it's important to have both. So just becoming a better, more mature leader that through thick and thin can maintain composure and the consistency as opposed to having these like wild spurts in different directions when needed. So I'd like to be a better leader. And then just as a final response to your question, all of this journey, all of personal growth and everything I build, I would want it to be almost a training for the next thing for me in life. So I don't have necessarily aspirations to be a serial entrepreneur. I feel like as far as entrepreneurial projects go, I'm already working on what I can possibly be most passionate about. So beyond this, I think I'm really interested in policy and specifically international conflict resolution. I love bringing people together. That's what Ivy does. And I'd love to do that in a global international scale from a nation to nation perspective. And I think, you know, building a business, building a community is the ultimate preparation you can have for something like that because we're all humans. So whether it's government and policy or whether it's a business or art, charity, ultimately you're always dealing with people. And the better you can motivate them and get them to feel alive and get them to push the boundaries and grow. I think, yeah, being someone who's really, really good at doing that would be a huge indicator of success for me. Thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate it. A lot of what you're talking about is, yes, you're building a business and yes, there's a financial model. And, but a lot of what you're doing is, is philanthropic in nature. You've talked about service to others. You've talked about global impact. You've talked about helping people unlock their potential and live bigger. I mean, those are things that are in service to something much bigger than building just a business. So how did that philanthropy part fit in and how does it fit in? Is it just Ivy or is it in other facets of your life? What's interesting is when people say philanthropy or charity, as though that's like a separate world, a separate bucket. And I guess as many entrepreneurs, I'm not a big believer in like compartmentalization. So everything in my life is completely mixed together, the personal and the professional. And the way I see it is a vast majority of the world population is engaged in business in some way or another. And I think most businesses are incredible tools for social impacts. I mean, people need stuff and businesses provide for that stuff. And the best businesses provided in such a good way that they make surplus income to make their product and service even better. So, you know, there's incredible nonprofits that do amazing work, but there's also incredible for-profit organizations that, you know, also save millions of lives through their products or elevate millions of lives through their products. So I, I do think business is a force for good. There are exceptions, obviously, but I feel like those exceptions kind of prove the rule in a society where, you know, you can buy something from a thousand different providers, the one providing it for you in the best way is going to win out. You know, I think that there's a social impact element to business regardless. And then for me, like, you know, at a deeper level, I would say I grew up in a, a, a Jewish family. I grew up very, very secular, so completely non-observant of the general rituals. However, I think now that I know more about Judaism, a a lot of the values, even though my family was completely secular, I now realize that they were actually extremely Jewish in the sense that, you know, there's this concept of tikkun olam. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but it's basically elevating the world or fixing the world. But that sounds negative. But it's just the whole concept that like, yeah, physically, we're no different than other animals, right? But when you look at what we do, why we do what we do, how we do what we do. 
there's so much more to us. So just like every other animal, we have to eat multiple times a day. But when we have a meal, we look to elevate it. We look to make it something that's special and, and so on. So the concept of tikkun olam is whatever comes across your path, you know, leave it better than you found it. Take it to the next level. Make it better. And philanthropy is a great way of doing that and giving back. But also, I think through every social interaction, through every professional interaction, having that tikkun olam mindset was ingrained in me before I knew what that phrase meant, like a kind of a life of service, but not in some kind of, oh, because I'm such a good person and I want to give back, but rather it's what else is there to do, right? Like uh, if you're in a relationship, you probably want your significant other to be a better person. You want to help them get there. And similarly in business, if you have vendors or customers, you probably want the best for them, right? They win, you win. And so for me, yes, the way I talk about Ivy and everything maybe does come across more social impact than philanthropic. And in many ways, I guess it is. But just because something is for profit, I don't think that separates it from the need for it to have impact on value, deliver it for it to be a real success. Yeah, just the way you talk. I mean, it just oozes out of you. Whether or not the business is designed specifically for that, it's it sounds like a lot of what you're trying to do is make the world a better place. It's almost like breathing for you. What other way is there? It's just interesting to hear you talk about it. But it sounds like that's such a grounded value for you, whether it be the way you were raised or whatnot. What other values have you started to notice and maybe apply more fully? In middle school, even... I just kind of committed myself. I, I, I thought life is very short. There's a little amount of time. There's billions of people in the world. I just want to really make my life count. When you die, you look at a mirror, and in that mirror, you see who you could have become. That thought basically gave me the value, which was that I am willing to sacrifice anything and everything for realizing the kind of purpose that I have. So I am a big believer in purpose. I think that we are all here for a reason that doesn't necessarily need to be religious or spiritual. We all have this gift of life. It's a mystery. We don't know how it began, where it's going to end, but like it's a unique opportunity. So for me, that was a value that, you know, if something is meaningful enough, like I want to go all in onto that. As I've matured, maybe the one way I've become a bit more balanced is that I've realized if you actually sacrifice everything for a cause, you might actually not be successful at the cause because then you have zero support structures or Nothing to kind of give you oxygen in the tough times. So now I realize that, you know, another value I have is, you know, you've got to make sure that you cultivate certain relationships that are outside of your main focus. One thing I reflect on quite a lot, actually every morning, there's a meditation type thing that I do. You just count what were all the blessings that we all have, just being alive, having a good family, if we had that shelter, food, all these things that I never worked hard for and I just had. Gifts. These are gifts. These are gifts. And then what compounds those gifts are all the incredible, like miraculous, quote unquote, coincidences that have happened to set me on a certain path, things that I could have never planned for. And something happened randomly and, you know, it set me on a path that completely changed my life. So all those blessings and miracles, it's just like, I feel like, okay, like I want to take all those and focus them towards things that really make a difference. So I don't know if you would call that a value, but it's definitely a driving force for me. It's a beautiful statement at a minimum. So when you look at yourself in the mirror, what, what's looking back? Are you content with the picture you see right now? Well, thankfully, I'm 34, so I hope I have a few, a few more years <laughs> to get a better reflection at the mirror. I think that all in all, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities I've had. 
and the way I've given my all to make the most of those opportunities, you know, whether it's personal life, professional life, family, all those things, I'm very, very much a work in progress. I think that I'm nowhere close to my full potential, but I feel like I'm certainly on the right track. I feel like I've made myself as uncomfortable as possible. That's why like, I, I have to A for effort. I think like there's tremendous amount of chaos in my life, self-inflicted mostly, and a lot of uncertainty. However, I have tremendous conviction that like I'm walking on the right path and it's extremely stormy right now, but you know, I'm learning to be a better sailor. Definitely, you know, I can be a way better captain and I can have a way better boat. I don't just mean business, but all areas of my life, but I'm working on it. So I feel happy about that. Well, this has just been a real joy to have a conversation with you and talk to somebody who is so convicted about their life and about their purpose and about their mission and actually creating an organization that, like I said, it just kind of oozes out of you when you talk. It's very powerful. I use this concept of living fully, which embraces a lot of the things you and I have talked about. How would you define living fully for yourself right now as we're sitting here today in 2019? So I would say... Living fully is giving your absolute best to every single day in your work, but also in your personal social interactions and friendships, really giving it your all, like squeezing every last drop out of every interaction. So even if it's grabbing coffee with somebody or any conversation, just like really going as deep as possible really exploring, reflecting on what it all means, but most importantly, like taking action. There's a limit to how much you can just think about stuff. I know that I'm moving fully in many ways, but I can probably uh, be a hundred times better at communicating with the people I love and the people I work with. Saying all that you've got to say, doing all that you've got to do, I would define that as living fully. That's just phenomenal. What's one piece of advice you would maybe give to the wealth creator out there that's listening to this, what's the benefit they would get by taking action and squeezing the, the last ounce out of life and, and really digging in and doing things that are super meaningful? Why, why do that? Or what encouragement would you give them to, to get started? Yeah, I think all the best things in life, the more you put in, the more you get out, kind of like investing and the earlier you start, the better it goes. I, I'm involved in a, a number of other organizations and so forth. And sometimes people ask me, like, are you crazy? Like, are they paying you for that? Like, why do you do that? And the way I see it is the more you push, I think the more you get for yourself. It's incredible. And I think it's a, part of the human condition is not to sound like kind of depressing about it, but like we all have a sense of emptiness inside, like not an overwhelming one necessarily, but like we all feel a need for something more. And our natural reaction, like if you're hungry, your natural reaction is to eat, like consume, take something and consume it. And what I find is actually that that deeper hunger that we all feel, the, that sense of emptiness. I think a lot of times the antidote to that emptiness isn't taking things and consuming them. Quite the opposite, I think, is actually by like giving your abilities and giving all the gifts that you were born with to the world, which is obviously to other people. And that can fill you up way more than buying things and stuff like that. So, you know, there's also great things if you appreciate things, you know, buy great things and so on. But I've just found that wealth, there's the financial way of defining it, but there's also, you know, like, let's say if you're, when you're old, right. And 
you might have a ton of wealth, but like if you're not relevant, if you're not really involved in anything, you'll just be someone isolated sitting on a beach or a big house. But if people need you because you're relevant, you're engaged with stuff, you know, that's what being alive is all about. The good thing about being young, so you mentioned the younger listeners here, is like it's all possible. You can get involved in anything. We had one speaker at Ivy who made a great point, which actually blew me away. And maybe you have better stats on this, but he said that 80% of your wealth is generated after you're 40 years old. And if that has any kind of truth to it, on average, then until you're 40, yeah, take risks, go for it, you know, go big, because, you know, you, you still have your prime after that to still accumulate wealth. And, you know, I'm all in on one stock, the company that I'm building, right? This is not probably sound financial management, personal management, but I'm doing what I love. And I know I'm becoming a much more valuable person. So might as well give life all you've got so that you can get a lot more out of it. Even though we didn't talk specifically about money, we're talking about wealth. We're just talking about a much broader definitional wealth in life and in every aspect. And I think that, you know, that's what I'm about. We did talk about wealth and the idea of this paradox of generosity, which is fascinating. There's been some written on that, but that idea of what you said of it's just the opposite of what you think not taking it's the giving that fills that hole. It's the service to others that fills that empty space. It's the, you know, what I refer to as pure contribution. When you give something out of pure contribution where there's no taking and getting, there's nothing really in it for me objectively. That is when we're at in our best, even in business. That's not just a philanthropic concept. That's just a, a life concept. How do I keep putting myself in a place where I interact with Barry and just in pure contribution, how can I help you? Yes, I got to you know, make enough money to live and pay my bills and all that. But if I come somewhat to our relationship with open hands and how can I be in service to you and help you, what I hear you saying is the same thing. It's just so powerful. It's incredibly powerful. Totally agreed. This has just been, you know, another installment of the uh, Barry and John convo that's just so fun. I really enjoy it. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. If somebody wanted to get connected to you, to the organization, to come to an event, can you give us the, the quick and dirty on that? Yeah, happy to. So if anybody wants to get in touch with me personally, it's Barry at Ivy.com, B-E-R-I at Ivy, I-V-Y.com. Please message me. would love to hear from you. And if you want to get involved with Ivy, ivy.com, I-V-Y. Yeah, you can see all of our upcoming events, both in person and digital and all the other things that we offer to our community. So if you're interested, please go and register there and mention that you heard this podcast. We'll give you full VIP treatment from there as friends of John. Awesome. VIP treatment. That sounds good. I like that. <laughs> hey, thanks again, Barry. Just really loved it and really appreciate you being on the show. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, John. Really enjoyed this and looking forward to achieving more great things together. I'm glad you could tune in for my conversation with Barry. He's a great example of someone who thinks big and focuses their impact on others. He also understands that self-development is a lifelong pursuit. For more insight into maximizing your potential, check out my new book, The Wealth Creator's Playbook, available now on Amazon. If you're enjoying The Wealth Confidant, you could leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others find the show, and I love getting your feedback. 
You can also get in touch with me on social media at JC Christensen or over email at john at jcchristensen.com. Thanks for listening and go live fully. Wealth Confidant is produced by Anna McLean and Target Marketing Digital. Our theme song is Day is Gonna Come by Royal Deluxe.